guys, and welcome to the Genocastase. My name is Mariana, and today we're going to be talking about genetics, specifying in the topic of meiosis, and even more specifically, on chromosomes. So last episode, we delved into meiosis as well as its stages, and I was talking to you about how chromosomes exchange their genetic material during prophase 1. So that is what we're going to deepen in, in this episode. So without further ado, let's get started. So first of all, in prophase of mitosis, each replicated chromosome, which is going to have two identical sister chromatids, are going to be connected to a centromere. And this is going to condense completely and independently. So in the same prophase one of meiosis, homologous pairs are going to align very close together. And finally, they're going to pair in and do something called a synapse. So the resulting pair is going to be called a tetrad or a bivalent. So tetrad means four, and this is because you're going to have four sister chromatids, because there are two chromosomes, which can also be called bivalent, and two because we have the two homologous chromosomes. So one homologous chromosome is a maternal version, and the other one is a paternal version, and together they will form either a, a tetrad or a bivalent. So be aware of something. Sister chromatids have the same alleles and the same genes because they are identical copies that are produced during replication. And homologous non-sister chromatids, for example, if you have a red or blue chromosome, that's if you wanted to see it like in a more colorful way, one could be from your father, the other one from your mother. Um, they have the same genes at the same loci, but they may have different alleles. So the bivalence is still here in prophase 1, and it is going to have the exact equivalent lengths of non-sister homologous chromatids, and they are going to exchange their genetic material in something called crossing over. So crossing over is going to start by, by breaking a covalent bond in the backbone of both the strands of the DNA of the double helix, at the identical position in each non-sister chromatids, and then they are going to cause the helices to switch sides. So you're going to be forming a synaptonemal complex, um, which is whenever you have the tetras joined together by some proteins called cohesins. So with the help of other proteins, such as the SYCP1 or the SYCP2, they're going to exchange their genetic material and they're going to do it at a certain point called chiasma or in plural known as chiasmata. So actually, if you see it, uh, this, chrom this chromosomal exchange in a drawing, you're going to see this um, proteins in red and green and Normally, homologous chromosomes are going to be represented in blue and red so that you don't ever get confused if you ever see one of these images. And it is important that you also know how to recognize the centromere, so don't forget. The centromere is the center of the chromosome and the chiasma is the places where they are joined. And normally, another version of uncolored images is whenever they show you a chromosome with color and the other one is going to be colorless. And so that's how you can differentiate them. But it is really important that you learn to label these images because you might be asked to draw this during the exam. I was asked one time. So yeah, be aware of that. But now let's move on to one of the main principles of inheritance, which is new allele combinations and the independent assortment. So if a gene is found on different chromosomes than the other one, 
then they are going to show to have independent assortment. Which means that the fact that you inherit one characteristic stick does not mean that you will inherit the other one. For example, if you have blue eyes, you don't necessarily have to be a blonde person. Maybe you are born with blue eyes and black hair. So because these uh, characteristics are coded by different genes, then one is not dependent of the other one. And the way this was initially proved was with Mendel. So he defined this law of independent assortment when he observed at the a different piece. He found out that peas could have a, either a green or yellow color, and this had absolutely no effect on whether the peas had a wrinkled or round shape. But what he didn't know was that independent assortment was dependent on meiosis. So this is because on metaphase one, which is when you're going to have the tetrads, um, they are going to uh, be aligned in whichever uh, polar, we could say. So you might inherit, I don't know, 20 chromosomes from your mother and three from your father or 13 from your mother and 10 from your father. So it doesn't really, there's not really a pattern in which you can show that a, a cell is going to inherit a certain amount of chromosomes from paternal or the maternal side. And this is why the fact that you inherit a gene is not dependent on you inheriting another gene. So because this is so random and there's not really a pattern, then we can calculate what is going to happen based on probabilities. So this is when you're actually going to use a parent square, which we're not going to deepen in this episode, but it's really helpful if you want to calculate this uh, probabilities of which offspring a couple is going to have. But you're going to use for this the parents, well, the alleles of the parents, and you have to determine first if they are heterozygous or homozygous, as well as if the genes are recessive or if they are dominant. So, for example, if I am a P parent and I want to know which are the chances of me inheriting uh, the yellow color as well as a rough shape to my baby, then I would have to first say, okay, I am a heterozygous or a homozygous? Okay, I'm a heterozygous. So that means I have a capital Y and a small y. And which color is dominant? Well, it's going to be yellow. And about the shape? Well, the rough shape is going to be dominant over the other one. So then I'm going to have a rough shape. Okay, so I have 50% chance of inheriting the big case Y to my child, as well as 50% chance of inheriting the big R to my child. So because we are talking about percentages, if you want to get probabilities, you would have to say that 100% is equal to 1. So 50% is equal to 0.5. And if I have 50% um, of probabilities to inherit a certain allele to my child, then I would have to multiply 0.5 by 0.5, which is going to be 0.25 which is 25%. So this is how you're going to be able to get uh, probabilities. And this means that you have 25% chances of giving your child a Y, well, a big Y and a, and a big R if you're a heterozygous parent. And that's how you can get probabilities. So it's a pretty simple uh, method, but you need to understand, if you understand the root of this, then you're going to be able to calculate much more complicated problems, which we might later discuss when we get to the Mendelian laws in a deeper way. But well, 
actually about Mendel, he was not aware that some of these genes, well, the genes existed at all. So some of the alleles that were always together, well, he didn't know that they were on the same chromosomes. And also there were other genes that were, you know, divided by independent assortments. So you would expect them to be inherited together, but they weren't. And this was all because of the crossover of chromosomes. So not even the fact that you have a gene, well, two different genes on the same chromosome, it's not going to secure you that you're going to inherit both of the genes because of this exchange of genetic material from alleles. So having discussed that, that would be it for meiosis. Last episode, we talked about the entire process. And so I hope with this, it's a bit clear, a bit more clear what's going on during the exchange of chromosomes. And next topic will be on inheritance and we're going to delve in the mendelian loss so thank you very much for sticking around guys and see you next episode bye bye